Way to go. You made it to the end. Yay! That's awesome. That's awesome. So a couple of things before we really jump into our study. On the back of your um, notes page, the bottom, I've given you a few book recommendations. One is a book that I've been going through with a, a small group of ladies this fall, and it is a book that I'm going to give to everyone that I know for Christmas this year. It's called Liturgy of the Ordinary by Tish Harrison Warren, and it is a book that encourages us just to really practice living as Christ followers in the day-to-day moments of our lives. She is super real. She is very, it's very practical and just really challenging us. What does it look like to follow Jesus in our culture today? So I encourage you to get that and maybe pass it along to some other people that you know. Another book that I want to highly recommend that I feel like relates to the New Testament is a book that's called Who is This Man by John Ortberg. If you want to be learning about the, the history and the culture and the, and the world when the church began and how the church kind of turned the world upside down, it's, I, I highly recommend it. It's, it's readable. It's not too scholarly, but it's, it's excellent and sound. So I wanted to recommend that to you. Another thing, as we're heading into the Thanksgiving and Christmas season, there is a wonderful album by Andrew Peterson that's called Behold the Lamb of God that gives kind of this big picture of God's plan um, and has some really fun songs. There's one about Matthew's begots, you know, giving the, the genealogy and song version, which your kids might love. But it's a, I just think it really goes with our seamless study. It's, these songs are kind of going through the whole story of the Bible and heading up to Christmas. And um, So I recommend that. And one other song that I don't have on your notes that I want to recommend this morning as we're getting to the end of the story today and we're looking briefly at Revelation, there's a wonderful contemporary Christian song that's called the Revelation Song that I just would love for you to maybe include in your quiet time this week. Highly recommend that. Okay, at this point, I would love for you to take out this this handout that's got the books of the Bible. I just want to make sure as we're wrapping up that you see how the books of the Bible are all put together. And did you all know that the the Old Testament and the New Testament, when we look at that, the meaning for the word testament is covenant. Right? So every time you're opening your Bible, you're remembering that we have a, a God who made covenant promises. And we're re- reading the Old Testament. We're learning about that, the people of the Old Covenant. And now, and then in the New Testament, the New Covenant. I just want you to see that these books are really put together very carefully and w- with much thought. We've seen as we've gone through our study that they're not put in chronological order much of the time. right? But you can see how... These are all in order, but they're organized by the different types of books, okay? And so we're going to be, this morning, in the New Testament, looking at Paul's letters, the general's letters, and then the last book, Revelation. A couple of quick tips if you're trying to memorize the books in the New Testament. I have a trick for you. I think it's pretty easy to get through the Gospels, right, and Acts, and then we have Romans and First and Second Corinthians, but a trick for Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians is go eat popcorn. 
Okay. <laughs> Galatians, Philippians, Colossians, go eat popcorn. That works. And then also, when you get to the T's, right after those four, you get to First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, and Titus. They're in alphabetical order. So that's helpful. Okay. I would encourage you, as we're having a long break, right? This is our last time to meet. We will gather in a couple of weeks after Thanksgiving to have our wonderful celebration brunch. And then we're going to have a long break in December. And we'll start back up again in January for those of, uh, of you that will be studying the book of Matthew, continuing with that. I would challenge you to take the time to read through the book of Acts during our break. Okay, and I would love for you to store this little handout away somewhere, maybe in your Bible, maybe in your folder. And as you, in your own time, are reading through the different books of the Bible, I would love to challenge you, every time you read through a book, write down how you see that God is revealed in that book. Okay, so that's lots of extra credit homework, just for you. Enjoy. Okay, so when you're reading through the book of Acts, that's kind of where we're, I feel like we're starting this morning, right? Acts all the way through <laughs> to the end of the Bible. Where are we in God's big, true, seamless story? We find that after Jesus' crucifixion, death, and resurrection, and ascension, there were 12 disciples that turned into maybe 120 followers, really 120 followers that were left there in Jerusalem, having been given the great commission that they were to go into all the world and bring the good news of Jesus Christ. They obeyed Jesus' commands. They waited there in Jerusalem. And then we know at Pentecost, right, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And lo and behold, they were proclaiming the good news in all different languages. And many, many, even right at that first burst of the Spirit's work in the beginning of the church, many came to faith in Jesus Christ. And I think, wow, what a small group of people in a small nation in the great big Roman Empire. And who would you have thought would have continued over the years? The big, giant, powerful Roman Empire or this little group that God anoints with his spirit and Jesus commissions? It's amazing what takes place. Do you know that within 30 years, we find in Acts 17, this small group of people has blossomed and grown and multiplied, and now they're called people who are turning the world upside down. People who are turning the world upside down. The Spirit is greatly at work in their midst. works especially through Peter and Paul. We find in Acts 7, Probably one, a, another great synopsis of all of Scripture in Stephen's sermon. He's the first martyr who's killed because of 
his profession of Jesus as Savior and Lord. So the church begins, and what begins right along with it? We saw it in Jesus' life, but opposition, persecution. It was not only by the Jews, but the Gentiles as well. But because of this persecution that began right there in Jerusalem and in Judea, what happens? The believers scatter. And so, as they scatter near and far, they begin new communities of Christ followers. And the gospel begins to spread. We learned last week about Saul and how Jesus introduced himself to the persecutor Saul on the road to Damascus. And he was never the same. His world was turned upside down. He was this man who seemed to be the highest achiever, right? And he becomes a humble servant who's willing to pour out his life go to the ends of the earth to proclaim the good news that he has found in Jesus, that he, who calls himself the worst of sinners, has been given this calling to be the apostle to the, the Gentiles. And oh, does God work through him? And then Peter is the apostle to the Jews. And it's interesting that right around the same time, God is doing this amazing work in Saul's life, who's Paul that Peter receives a vision as well. And he's told to go to a Roman centurion, a Gentile's home, and to share the news of Jesus there. And lo and behold, just as we knew all along, the good news was not just for the Jews, but it was for the whole world. The Gentiles there in, in that household when they trust in Jesus, the Spirit is poured out upon them as well. And Peter goes back to the church in Jerusalem and shares what has happened. And, lo- and so the Gentile mission becomes official. And Saul eventually is received, even though at first they're terrified of this guy, right, who'd been persecuting them. He's received as an apostle. And the work continues through God's people. There were many. James, the brother of Jesus, is the leader in the church in Jerusalem. John, many women that you find as you read through the New Testament, lead and serve. Many come alongside the apostles. And they establish these communities that are known for what? For the way that they love one another. The Spirit takes those who were terrified and hiding early on. Now they're bold and empowered to proclaim Jesus as Lord, even when it's to their detriment. It means that they're going to suffer for their faith. And we find that they're willing to suffer Financially, socially, in so many ways. Because if you went around the world, 
back in those days, in all the big cities, even the small cities, but especially the big cities, you would see temples everywhere. You've learned about the pantheon, right? The Roman and Greek gods. Idol worship, worship of these gods with a small g, or we could call them the no gods. It was part of every area of their life. Their business guilds, it involved idol worship. When they would go to dinner, they would have banquets where? At the temples. And even um, just politically, to proclaim Jesus as Lord was considered treason because Caesar was Lord, the emperor was Lord. And all the other no-gods, the small g-gods, were called lords. And so Christians were even called atheists because it, they were in a culture where they were supposed to accept all gods, all religions. And the Christians said, no, there is one Lord, Jesus Christ alone. They also, in a world where there was the social structure, There were lots and lots of ladders on the social structure. There were slaves and there were free people. There were rich and there were poor. There were Jews and Greeks and Romans and Macedonians and barbarians. There was lots of di division ethnically. And the Christian communities became known for welcoming all. Well, welcoming foreigners and strangers. It wasn't just a Jewish thing or a Greek thing or a Roman thing. Everyone was welcome. And the slaves were welcome. And the women and the children were welcomed. This was completely unique. And they also cared for the poor and the sick in a world where that was not often done. They turned the world upside down with the love that they had received from God in Jesus Christ. Love was unleashed in these communities. So that's the beginning of the early church. That's where we are in the story. And as we look at the letters today, I have given you lots of details in your notes. Just a, a little, maybe, brief synopsis about what each of these letters addresses. I've given you a key verse. For some of them, I've, I've given you maybe a few extra verses, which happen to be my favorites. And those are notes for you to be able to read through and go through on your own time, because we don't have time to get through all of these, <laughs> address all these books this morning. But what I want you to see this morning as we look at the letters that these were letters, real letters that God has preserved so that we can read them today. They were written on scrolls, and they were delivered by Christ's followers from church to church around the ancient world. These letters have a typical format, a little different than we write letters today. An opening would include the sender and the re recipients, a salutation, often a prayer of thanksgiving. And then there's the body of the letter, which each of them is unique to each letter. And then there's always a closing. And it's just so fun to see. These were written to real 
house churches, real communities of people. There often will be little notes, well, greet so-and-so for me, right? Or I'm planning to come and see you, just like we would write in a letter or say on the telephone today. They didn't have that opportunity then. There would be accommodation for you're being faithful. There would be a prayer or maybe um, ask a, a prayer request. Will you please pray for me? Paul would ask. There would often be some brief final instructions, which is interesting. If you go to the back of each of these letters, it might give you a key about what that le- what Paul is really talking about or what these <laughs> pastoral letters are really addressing in these final instructions. We find something that is also unique, often at the beginning and at the end of these letters. You'll see this greeting, grace and peace to you. Lord Jesus Christ. And we see here that peace was the shalom greeting of the Jewish people, right? And then grace is this kind of Greco-Roman greeting and also this wonderful key word that could sum up the whole gospel, right? Grace. It's all a gift. Grace and peace to you. What a beautiful blessing. I just want to go over a couple of themes that we find in Paul's letters this morning. When you think of Paul, you can use the letter P. I always need these helpful hints, right? He was the persecutor turned apostle. He's the apostle to the Gentiles. You were able to learn about his three missionary journeys in in looking at the book of Acts in our study this week. We see, wow, how he was willing to go to the ends of the earth, to pour out his life, to suffer, to proclaim Jesus as Lord. And that was one of the key things that he always focused on, that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. This echoes the idea of the the Lord that we find throughout the Old Testament. It's echoing this idea, he is God and he is Lord, and Caesar is not. None of these gods with a small g are Lord of all. We also find again and again, as I mentioned, this word grace. The gospel is the gospel of grace. If you have some time this week, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, he speaks of this so beautifully, that it's by grace that we are saved through faith. It is the gift of God. No one could can boast about being saved through Jesus Christ. It's all God from top to bottom. <laughs> through and through, from beginning to end, it's grace upon grace upon grace. Salvation is a gift to be received. And then we find him talking about the new covenant I've given you some passages here. We won't go through them this morning. But what I want you to see is Paul is making it very, very clear that in Jesus, the new covenant has been ushered in. This new covenant was foretold of in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34. And it spoke of the Spirit being given to all people a forgiveness of sins. 
being offered to all. And the Spirit was God writing His very words on His people's hearts. And it speaks of the Spirit empowering them to be able to follow and to obey, walk in new ways of obedience because of what Jesus has done and because of the Spirit's empowering. And then one of my favorite things that we find, that we learn through Paul, is this idea of new creation. Maybe you've heard these verses before from 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 and 18. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he, or can I say she, is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So a few things that I want to note here. Because sometimes I've read that verse and I feel like a lot of pressure. Like, I should be a lot more newer than I am. Right? I'm supposed to have left the old ways. You know, I want to be sanctified way more quickly than I am. It's a long, slow process in my life. I don't know about you. But what I want you to, to think of is this. Think of the cross as a dividing line for time. That before the cross was creation, the old and the old way, right? That a world that was fallen because of sin, where people are separated from God, they're enslaved to their sin, and they're on a path that only leads to death. And then, for those that are in Christ, those that trust in Christ and follow him as Lord, there's a new creation that has been ushered in through Jesus. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross and his victory over sin and death, we are no longer enslaved to sin. Not anymore. Because of the Spirit, we are empowered to walk in the new ways that Jesus leads us in. We are on the path that we are absolutely sure leads to life. And we trust that by the Spirit, it's the Spirit's work of making us new. And, and if you read that verse 18, this happens through Christ because what does he do? Through his death and resurrection, he reconciles us to God. Being a new creation means that we are united with God. We are sealed by the Spirit. We are his dearly loved daughters and nothing's ever going to change that. That's why we can say that we are new creations, because we are in relationship with God. We've been, as sinners, been able to be restored to our holy God. Jesus has made the way for that. New creation. Another little point on that. It's not just about our personal change or growth. 
being new creations in Christ. But because of what Jesus has done, he's begun a new creation because he's ushered in God's kingdom. And so all of creation is in this process of beginning to be restored. And so it means we're looking ahead. Right? I don't know if you've heard that passage before that says that, that even creation groans for the day when God's work is complete and all things are made new. So it's not only just in us, but the whole cosmos, all of creation, God is in the business of making all things new. In Romans 8, verses 31 to 39, speaks of the love that has been given to us in Christ Jesus. And that there's nothing Neither height, nor depth, nor angels, nor demons. Nothing above or below. There's nothing on this earth. There's nothing that we can experience. If we are in Christ, there's nothing that can separate us from God's love. With every breath we take, it's there. We're swimming in it. And then I would love to read for you one of my favorite passages from Philippians. Philippians 2. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from his love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who Though he was in the form of God, did not, equ- did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus alone is Lord. And Paul so very clearly calls Christ's followers to follow in this humble, lowly way of service and self-sacrifice and pouring your lives out for others, not having lives that are centered around ourselves, which I'm often so tempted to do, but having lives that are founded and centered on Christ. 
And because of what he has done for us, the life and love that he's given to him, offering our lives back to God in service to the people around us, not exalting ourselves, but humbling ourselves. And I think this is the way that the world was turned upside down. And may it be today through you and me. Would we be ones who live with Jesus as Lord? And as we go through through our lives, be now the ones that know that we are on our knees before him continually. That he alone is Lord of all. And oh, does he deserve our worship in our very lives. And oh, would we have the heart to continue the Great Commission. That God began all those years ago. Would we be the ones that could turn the world upside down? Maybe our lives may not have this drastic conversion experience like Paul did. But think about it, ladies. Are there people in your life that you know today that are following Jesus in hidden, lowly, humble, faithful ways, not exalting themselves? I see my husband do it day after day. Never calls attention to himself. Ever. I see it and men who go and reach out to boys at the Illinois Youth Center, young men whose lives are broken, but they keep showing up. And nobody else knows, right? Nobody else knows what they're doing. I see it in a woman that I'm watching be transformed before my very eyes as I serve at Naomi's house at home for women who are coming out of sex trafficking. And I see how she's breaking free from her addiction. And she's trying to serve the other one, women in the house that are not quite as far along as she is yet. And I see it in the way that she closes her mouth when she wants to give him a piece of her mind. When she wants to yell at him, get it together, you know. I'm sure. Think about it. There are people that you know that are serving in this way just want to conclude by touching this morning on the end of the story, right? We have to jump to the last chapter, to Revelation, this amazing vision that God gives the Apostle John in this time period where the church is being persecuted, and oh, do they need encouragement, and, and God, through this amazing vision, unveils pulls back the veil between eternity and time here on this earth and gives John this vision of the time when evil will be conquered forevermore. And his words challenge those followers. Will you continue to endure to the end? Will you still proclaim Jesus as Lord even when it means you're going to suffer? Will you live your life every day remembering that there will be a day when every knee will bow before Jesus as the Lord of all, the true King of heaven and earth? This, this vision challenges the early church and us to look forward to Christ's return, 
to remain faithful one day at a time, to not lose hope. Ladies, our hope is not to be dependent on our circumstances. Our hope is in this vision, this absolute assurance that we know that we have a God that loves us so much that he's preparing a place for us. You see, we live in this reality of the already and the not yet. God's kingdom has been ushered in, but it not has not come to completion. So we still live on this earth where there are sorrows and suffering, and we're tempted to despair rather than to hold on to hope. We say, if we're willing to look truly at what's going on in this world, this is still not the way that it should be. this hope, this faith that Jesus will return. And if you read it on your own time, Revelation 21 and 22, that we will see, there will be, John was able to see it, a place where heaven is brought to earth. In this holy city, Eden has become a city and God will dwell with his people and he'll wipe their, the tears from their eyes. And there'll be no more darkness because God will be lighting up the whole place. There'll be no more sin or sorrow or shame or death or pain, no suffering. That will be the time where we won't need to have any more faith and any more hope because all that will remain is love. And as we're holding on to that hope, when we remember that when God comes, he always comes, bringing salvation and judgment. And would it challenge us to be the ones that will continue to proclaim the good news that for every single sinner on this planet, there is hope found in Jesus Christ. And I think that's all I got for today, so I'll just say amen. <laughs>